This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Once again tonight, we're going to present another episode from Nightbeat, a relatively new addition to the lineup here on Theatre of the Mind. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. It stars Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone, a nighttime reporter for the Chicago Star. Now, Frank Lovejoy had numerous roles on radio. In soap operas, he played Dr. Christopher Ellerby in Valiant Lady, Sam Foster in This Day is Ours, and he had the roles of Brad Forbes on Brave Tomorrow. He also played the title character on the syndicated The Blue Beetle in 1940. I'm going to have to look that one up. And several episodes of The Whistler. He also starred in episodes of Suspense in the late 1950s. So he was no stranger to the microphone, and I think you'll agree that he handles the role of Randy Stone superbly. And now the episode of Nightbeat, The Girl in the Park. Nightbeat. This is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Stories start many different ways. This one started, strangely enough, with the flame of a match. whose feeble glow lit up a lightened face in the darkness. A frightened face twisted by an agonizing fear of death. Night beat. Starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. The night is a thief, some poet once wrote, that steals the colors from the day. It's kind of pretty if you like words, but for my dog, they're not exactly true. Because there are colors at night. The burning red of passion, the angry green of jealousy and the ugly, terrifying black of fear. This was one of those nights when pickings were slim. I'd cover the town from Henrici's Bar in the Mart, out to Hyler's on the North Shore, and back downtown again with nothing to show for it. I was taking a shortcut through Lincoln Park to pick up my car. At that time of night, the park was pretty deserted, except for this girl walking up ahead of me, not a bad silhouette, I might add, against the distant light. We were about halfway through the park when suddenly she stopped and threw herself onto a bench at the side of the path. There was something almost desperate about the way she did it. I ran up to her. <sighs> Excuse me, are you all right? Yes, I'm all right. Well, I thought maybe you were sick or something. I told you I'm all right. Would you please let me alone? Oh, now look, lady, it's not what you think. I, uh, 
Well, this park, at this time of night, it's no place for a girl to sit around by herself. I don't need any help. Just go away. Oh, sure, sure. I'll get lost. I can see you're all right. Only you don't mind if I just sit here and smoke a cigarette before I go? It's a public park. I don't care what you do. Thank you. You care for a cigarette? No. Of course, in order to really enjoy a smoke, you've got to have a match first. <laughs> I said in order to enjoy a smoke, you've got I to... heard you. Here. Thank you. Here. Keep the book. No, no, you better hang on to these. I won't need them. Well, you might need them later tonight. After tonight, I won't need anything. Oh, now, wait a minute. That's no way to talk. The only time you're not going to need anything, sister, is after you're dead. Why did you say that? What? That about being dead. Well, no reason. Why? Because after tonight, I will be. The girl jumped up and started running. Here was a kid that was afraid. Afraid of death or afraid of life. But then, isn't everybody... I turned the matchbook over and looked at the ad on the cover. Penguin Club. A little all-night jump and jive place over on Clark Street. That's one I've been missing lately. On a hunch, I ambled up North Avenue in that general direction, turned up Clark a ways, and there it was. It was good to get inside out of that wind. Check your hat and coat, mister. No, thanks. I'm just looking around. Can I get you a table? It's almost the end of the floor show. Well, anywhere in the back will be all right. Okay. The hat check girl, hostess or whatever she was, walked me through the bar to the edge of the main room. And then I stopped and really did a take. Out in the middle of the dance floor, under a little baby spot singing in front of a five-piece band, was Little Miss Desperate from the park. Nice voice, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Who is she? Oh, that's Franny. Fran Fowler. Had you been in here before? Not for quite a few months. Of course, she hadn't got much experience yet. From out of town, hmm? Someplace over in Wisconsin. Not bad looking, huh? Mm. In everything. Hey, what's wrong with her? Gee, I don't know. I can't! Well, how do you like that? Come on, folks. Come on, let's give the little girl a great big hand. Nothing like a real sad song to wind up a real sad act. Especially for a real sad tomato type tomato. <laughs> Peggy, you got some alive one, huh? Hello, Tommy. <laughs> this is Tommy Mason, ain't he the one? Yes, yes, he's quite the one, all right. Gee, Tommy, you, you sure covered up for Franny, all right. Never let down. Keep him going all the time. That's show business. You know how it is, mister. Oh, yes, yes, I've heard. The show must go on. It's a new thing. Yeah, you got to keep him laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Now, look, about that girl. Franny? Yeah, Franny. What seems to be the trouble? Well, that's hard to say, pal. Maybe she just found out she ain't no dinosaur, and she sure ain't. Tommy, <laughs> you killed me. Now, seriously, fella. Fella, <laughs> why would a girl break up that way in the middle of her number and start to cry? Ah, uh, could be she got a cinder in her eye. But just to make sure, I'll go ask her. See you later, Tommy. Come on, fella. How's about buying a girl a drink? Oh, sure, sure, in a minute. Um, about this Franny... Look, do we have to talk about her? I, I thought you came in here for some fun. Maybe I get my fun wondering about people. What time's the next floor show? Next one's at two, then four. Oh, they're not kidding about this all-night business. And still another one at daylight. She's singing all of them? 
How should I know? She missed most of the 12 o'clock show. Just got here for that last number. Any idea where she lives? The room in house around on Erie Street. Know the number? 391. You know, you ask an awful lot of questions. <laughs> well, that's my business. I'm a reporter, Randy Stone. I might have known it. Look, you're, you're not going to bother her tonight, are you? Of all nights? Tonight? This is the night that Charlie Dane is being executed down at Joliet. What's that got to do with her? Well, how would you feel? Look, Mr. Stone, she's human. This is the night her boyfriend's gonna die. I went up to the front of the bar to a phone booth and called the paper. There was something about this in the back of my mind somewhere. Something I ought to remember but couldn't. I had the girl on the board put me through to Gabby in the library. Oh, hello, Gabby. This is Randy. Yeah, Randy? Uh, what have you got on the Charlie Dana case? Still a little early, Randy. Execution's not set until 1.30. No, no, I mean old stuff. Oh, I got the file right here, Randy. Dug it out earlier for background. Good. Anything on a girl named Fran Fowler? Yeah, let's see. Charlie Dana, small-time gambler, killed a guy named Tonelli. Oh, yes, yes, I remember that. A gambling beat. Execution originally set for November, but he got a couple of months' stay. Oh, here she is, Fran Fowler. Singer in a nightclub was supposed to be his alibi, but the DA blew her up on the witness stand. She admitted she wasn't positive about when she'd been out with the guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was it. I knew it was something. Anything more? Oh, details, Randy, details. Okay, Gabby, thanks. I'll catch up with you. Oh, Mason. Excuse me, were you waiting to use phone? Uh, no, I was uh, waiting to talk to you. Why, certainly, but this time, no jokes, if you don't mind. I'm expecting a headache. <laughs> You're not funny, Stone. Who are you talking to? Well, isn't that uh, kind of my business? Uh, Peggy says you're a reporter. Yes, of a sort. You were asking about Fran, where she lived? That's right. You've got to let her alone, see? You printed enough about her. Uh, just a minute, Mason. Those are my lapels that you're hanging on to. Peggy shouldn't have given you Fran's address. I don't want you bothering her. I said let go of my lapels, funny man, or something's liable to explode in your face. <laughs> Well, you stay out of my way or I'll ruffle that shiny hair. Where are you going? See about a cinder in a lady's eye. You're not going to see her. I won't let you. Can't you see this whole thing's driving her crazy? Tommy, believe me, I'm not interested in harming her or anyone. I'm just a guy trying to do a job. If you'll step out of my way... You're please. not going there. I won't let you. I won't let Sorry, you. I did you ask for it? My, my, that's a real nervous fellow. Now that he'd made such an issue out of it, going around to see Fran Fowler was a definite must on my schedule. I picked up my car and drove over to Erie Street. 391 wasn't much different from any of the rest of the rooming houses on the block. I got the number of her room from the mailbox and started down the dingy corridor to room 8. I knocked at the door, but there was no answer. I knocked again, and then I smelled gas. Hey, anyone in there? Miss Fowler! Fran! I put my shoulder to the door and the flimsy lock snapped open. I rushed into the gas-filled room holding my breath until I could smash open a window and let in some air. And then I saw Fran Fowler, the girl from the park, lying across the bed. And on a table beside her, one of those two burner gas stoves with both jets wide open. I turned them off and started shaking the girl. Miss Fowler, Franny, come on, get up. You gotta get out of here. Look, am I gonna have to carry you? Put me down. You little fool, this room is filled with gas. My, my purse. Where? On the table. <laughs> okay, I've got it. Oh. Fine thing with a gun in it. Give that to outside, me. Outside, baby, outside. 
was six seconds flat when we hit the sidewalk in the fresh air. I put Fran in the front seat of my car and then ran around and climbed in behind the wheel. I headed out to Sheridan Road along the lake. The cool, clean air felt good in my lungs and I could see Fran drinking it in, realizing now how close she'd been. I didn't make her talk until we were a long way out of town. Then I pulled over to the beach side of the road and killed my motor. We, uh, seem to keep bumping into each other in the strangest places tonight. I... I guess I should say thanks. No, no, not at all. I'm the one who should say thanks. I still haven't returned your matches. Please don't make fun of me. No, I'm not. You see, I know now who you are. Charlie Dana's girl. Why don't you say it? In my book, you're just a kid I met in the park. What time is it? It's quarter to two. Then... Yes, it's probably all over by now. Like me to turn on the radio and... No. No, I don't want to hear about it. You must love him an awful lot. Love him? I despise him. Dis... But still you were willing to alibi for him on a murder charge? I wasn't. I... I told him I wasn't sure of the time I was out with him, but he made me say it was the exact hour when the man was killed. Didn't you realize you might have been perjuring yourself? I didn't lie. I just didn't remember. It might have been like he said... When you're not sure, what else can you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd you happen to get mixed up with him? I... I didn't know anybody when I first came here. I was lonesome. And he was nice to you? He was. A lot more decent than most of the men who want to take you out when you're working in a club. And why do you hate him now? I didn't know what he did. A lot of people gamble. I didn't think too much about it. Then we got to going out evenings between shows at the club on my nights off. And the killing happened when you and he were supposed to have been out someplace together? That's what he said. He wasn't arrested until a few weeks after the... the trouble. I couldn't remember if I'd been with him during that particular time or not. Well, it's all over now. You did what you had to. That's about all any of us can do. But you've got to forget about it. Put it out of your mind. There's nothing more to worry about. Oh, that's just it. You don't understand. There is. What are you talking about? He promised. He promised, and I know he'll keep his promise. Promised what? I... I want to see him in prison. In the death house? I had to. I wanted him to understand, but he said I tricked him. What, by telling the truth on the witness stand? He said I double-crossed him, but now he he didn't care. Why would he say that? He said he didn't care because the night he died, I would die. And I'm afraid. You are listening to Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. This was real. This was no act. The sound she made would tear you to pieces, like some pitifully frightened animal who'd lost everything in the world. I let her cry it out. After all those months of strain, she'd have to get it out of her system. He said the night he died. I died. Sure, sure. So you were scared. Who wouldn't be? But don't you see? That's just a cruel boast made by a cheap hoodlum who's trying to hurt you, make you feel responsible for his own plight. But he meant it. I know he did. Well, maybe he did at the time, but you've got nothing to worry about now. You had nothing to do with it. He paid for his own crime. Now he's dead, and you're still alive. He'll keep his promise. How can he? He's dead. I, I, I know you think I'm crazy. No, 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 no. But has anyone really tried to harm you? 
Oh, but this... This wasn't the night he was supposed to... Yes, I know. The execution was originally set for November. It was that night in November. I hadn't been afraid before. I thought it was like you said, because it was bitter. But all that day, I was upset. I, I told them at the club I couldn't work. And late in the afternoon, I got a note from Peggy saying, why didn't I go out to her cabin at the dunes for a couple of days? Nobody would bother me, no reporters, and I, I could get a good rest. So I, I drove out there that evening. It was quiet. Nothing around. Just empty sand dunes and her cabin all alone on the edge of the lake. I, I called Peggy at the club to let her know I got in all right. Why, from your place. My apartment? No, your cabin. At the dunes? I wish swell of you, Peggy, to let me come out here. Well, of course, Franny. You're welcome to use the place, but I don't quite know what you mean. Well, your note this afternoon telling me to come out here. I didn't write you any notes. Oh, come on, Peggy, you did. You even told me where the key would be under the flower pot. But, kid, that's where we always keep it. Everybody knows that. Peggy, I... I... Now, don't worry about it, kid. One of the girls probably sent you the note and just hasn't had a chance to tell me about it yet. I should have thought of it myself no. in the first place. No, wait, Peggy. I'm scared. Well, what in the world else? You remember what I told you about what... what Charlie said the last time I saw him? Prison? It was about tonight that he said... when he died, cut I... Cut it, Franny. Now, cut it before you drive yourself Peggy, back. I'm all alone and I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Franny, you've got to hang up right away. You shouldn't be out there all alone tonight. Get in your car and come back to town as fast as you can. I'll, I'll wait for you here. All right, Peggy. All right. I hung up the phone and ran out of the house to my car. I turned on the ignition key and stepped on the starter. It wouldn't start. My car wouldn't start. I looked at the gas gauge. Empty. Somebody had drained the gas out of my car. I got out in a panic and started toward the highway. But there was a car out there. Parked behind a big sand dune. I turned and ran back to the house. It was like some crazy, frightening nightmare. I didn't know what I was doing, but somehow I managed to get inside and lock the door. And then suddenly I was at the telephone. Operator? Operator, answer me. Operator, you've got to answer. I want the police. Operator, please help me. Someone... Operator! It was no use. The line was dead. While I was outside, someone had pulled the wires away from the wall. Crawled over the window. Looked out to the highway. There was a car out there. Its lights were on. But as I looked, they went out. And now, I was alone, in the dark, with him out there. I must have passed out. When I came to it was morning and Peggy was there, she and Tommy had driven out after the club closed to, to find me. But you see, you didn't die that night. But neither did he. Could have been your imagination, you know, this man in the car. No, no, no. The news about this day of execution was on the radio. The man in the car must have heard it and gone away. Did you call the police? They didn't believe me. Just because I'm a nightclub singer, they said I was trying to get publicity. 
How about the car not starting and the telephone being dead? According to them, my car was just out of gas, and I must have pulled the telephone wires off the wall myself. In the panic you were in, you could have. But I didn't. I tell you, I didn't. All right, all right. Anyway, it's tonight that we're concerned with. I don't know what to do. I... I just don't know what to do. Well, if it's true, this fear you have, you've got to find it out tonight. If you don't, it'll haunt you the rest of your life. Oh, I know, I know, but how? You've got to go back to your room. Oh, no, I'm afraid. I'll be with you. Still got your gun, remember? By the way, what were you going to do with that? I... I didn't have the nerve to use it. Even on myself. Well, if anything is going to happen, it'll happen tonight. Not tomorrow or any time after that, but tonight. We'll go back to your place now and wait. Until it's daylight. I drove Fran back to the rooming house on Erie Street. There were no lights on anywhere in the building. We tiptoed down the empty corridor to Fran's room, listened at the door a minute, and went in. The door closed all right, but it wouldn't lock. I must have sprung it when I forced the door. We settled down and waited. For what? Once I thought I heard steps on the sidewalk far out front. It was that still. And then I did hear steps slowly coming down the hall. There's someone... in the hall. Keep it down. He stopped outside the door. Don't move. Nothing to be sorry about. I was kind of scared myself. It's a funny thing about fear. It's catching. Look out the window. It's almost light. And this all night has gone for good. You see? It was all in your mind. Things you were frightened of. It was nothing, really. You won't be afraid if I go now. No. I've caused you an awful lot of trouble. Oh, no, you cut the howdy. You'll get me going. The kids at the club, I guess I should go back there and let them know I'm all right. What the doctor ordered for you is a little shut-eye. I'll stop by on my way and give them the word. Good night. Good night. Oh, here's your gun. You might want to pawn it for a couple of pair of nylons. Yes, a real nice tomato-type tomato, as the funny man at the club would say. On the way over, I got thinking about him and that girl, Peggy. Come to think of it, that was one point Fran had forgotten to clear up for me about the note that sent her out to Peggy's cabin at the dunes that night. Yeah, my mind wouldn't let go of that. When I got to the club, it was daylight, and they were folding up the joint, and Peggy was sitting alone at the bar. Well... You got a nerve coming back here after... How's your boyfriend? He's not my boyfriend. It's a figure of speech. Where is he? He just left. Okay, I'll settle for you. If you don't mind, it's a little late for small talk, mister. Okay, I'll give it to you fast. It's about that note you wrote to Fran Fowler last November on the night Charlie Dana was supposed to die. What note? <laughs> a little late for small talk, remember? I don't know what you're talking about. 
You don't know anything about a note inviting Fran to stay out at your place at the dunes? I told her. I didn't know who wrote it. Were you telling the truth? Yes. Yes, I was. Okay, okay. Maybe you were. But you found out later who wrote it, didn't you? No, I... Now, tell me the truth. Or would you rather tell the police? All right. I did find out. It wasn't like you think. Well, who was it? Tommy. Tommy Mason. Tommy Mason? The funny man? His idea of a joke, no doubt. A hilarious joke that might have scared a poor kid to death. No, no, you're wrong. It wasn't a joke. Well, then why? Why did he do it? Because he's in love with her. He made me swear I wouldn't tell her. He, he wanted to wait until the time when she needed him, and, and then he'd tell her himself. Until she needed him? That's how is he going to make her need him? Use a condemned murderer's empty threat to frighten her out of her sanity so she'd need him? Is he crazy? He is where Fran's concerned. Where is he? I don't know. He's been like a maniac all night since you left here. After every show, he's gone over to Fran's place looking for her. He's crazy jealous. Jealous? Of whom? Of you. He thought she was with you. What if she were? This was the night. This was the night he was sure she would need him, and instead she turned to you. Don't you see? Yes, I do now. Thanks. It was only about a half mile to France, but it seemed more like 20 miles until I turned off Clark up Erie Street and slammed into the curb. There was Owen on the street. I was hoping he'd walk and I'd pass him on the way, but there was no one. I ran down the narrow hall, not daring to think what I'd find, and I flung open the door. Are you alone? Well, you, you're frightened. Are you alone? Well, yes, I've been sitting here since you left. I'm too tired to undress. Come on, let's get out of here. Grab your coat. But Never where? mind, never mind, never mind. I'll tell you on the way. I shoved Fran out the door and we started cautiously back down the hall. We got about halfway when I grabbed her arm. The front door was opening slowly and a man made a dark silhouette against the gray light of the dawn. It was the funny man. The man with the slick, shiny hair and the permanent smile and the fast jokes. Only the smile was gone and he had a gun in his hand. Keep coming. Keep coming. We started towards him slowly. Tommy. Tommy, it was you. You who were going to kill me. You didn't know. You didn't know that I had a heart too, just like Charlie Dana did. Tommy, you never told me. You never let me. You didn't need me. You would have laughed at me like you laughed at my jokes. It couldn't have been you at the dunes that night. I followed you out there. And then drove back to the club. No, Tommy, no. You were lonesome, but you didn't need me. You needed Charlie Dana. I thought if you were afraid, you'd need me. And then you were afraid, but still you didn't need me. But I'd make you need me. I'd make you. Step by step, we moved closer. Keep coming. I could see his face twisted with jealousy and hate, his eyes wild, as though a spark might make him explode. And tonight, when you were afraid and should have needed me, you didn't. You turned to him. Tommy, please. But now you need me. Now that I have my finger on this trigger, you need me more than you've ever needed anyone in your life. You need me. You need me, Fanny. You need me. Say it. Say you need me. <laughs> I, I can't shoot. I can't shoot. He started to shake and I ran forward. He grabbed his gun. Look out. Drop it. Drop it. It's all right. I've got the gun. I can't. Is he hurt? Not to what he will be. Get up, funny man. No. 
Don't be too hard on him. He didn't realize. No, no, I... I guess maybe he didn't. It's funny, isn't it? You never really know what's going on in some of the best combed heads. Well, that's the way it goes. A little later than usual this morning. The day shift has already moved in and let the night crew wander off to their own private little beds. Well, at least I got to see the sun come up. And here I sit, still trying to make it all add up. But no matter how I figure it, the only answer I get is, you never know about people. But bless them, maybe that's why we love them. See that man walking towards you with a smile on his face? What's he smiling about? Or is it just so you won't notice how he's screaming inside? Oh, Ooh, the trouble with me is I haven't had my coffee yet. Copy, boy. Nightbeat, a dramatic series stars Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Nightbeat is edited by Larry Marcus and directed by Warren Lewis. Music by Frank Worth. The part of Fran was played by Joan Banks. Paul Duboff played Tommy. Others in the cast were Georgia Ellis, Ken Christie, and Carol Richards. Frank Lovejoy will next be seen in Milton Sperling's production, Rock Bottom, released by Warner Brothers. Throughout the week, NBC brings you the best adventure mystery dramas on the air. You'll hear action-packed, fast-moving plots to hold your interest right up to the smashing climax on such thrilling programs as Big Town, Mr. District Attorney, The Big Story, and Dragnet, every week on most of these NBC stations. On Dragnet, you'll hear documented cases from the Los Angeles police files. The Big Story brings you true tales from the front pages of America's newspapers. Mr. District Attorney, the champion of the people, takes you through an exciting episode in the conviction of a criminal. And tomorrow night on Big Town, you'll hear crusading editor Steve Wilson crack down on the forces of evil. For the best high-tension dramas, hear NBC's great mystery and adventure programs. Listen next week at this same time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. The stories that come out of the shadows to find their way into Nightbeat. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for that husband and wife team, Jim and Marion Jordan, as they wrap themselves in the roles of Fibber McGee and Molly. Maybe statesmen and politicians would listen more to the voice of the people if smart people spoke up and the dumb people weren't so noisy. For instance, listen to an average citizen popping off as we join Fibber McGee and Molly. Another thing, if them so-called experts at the United Nations Conference took my advice, I'd clean up their troubles in two, two minutes flat. 
But no, they don't even answer my letters. Is that gratitude? Is that courtesy? Uh, what, uh, what is your plan, sweetheart? Just send all the interpreters home. That's all. <laughs> and then? Then when them delegates started calling each other names, nobody would understand what they were saying. <laughs> Take it from one who knows, kiddo. There's nothing more discouraging than losing an argument with yourself. Well, I think you may have something there, McGee, but uh, maybe if you gargle and take some aspirin, it'll go away. Don't sell me short, baby. It's a terrific idea. If they can't argue with each other, they've got to agree. That's simple, ain't it? Well, there's just one thing. How would you keep them from shaking their heads? Turn out the lights. (laughs) Well, you send them another letter, dearie. Send it registered mail. You bet. In the meantime, I've got to go upstairs and sort the lawn. Okay, Tootsie. Ah, there goes a good kid. (laughs) Steady as a rock and solid as a boogie beat. (laughs) Half the world in a turmoil, and what does she do? She sorts the laundry. (laughs) Hi, George, if everybody was like her, there'd be more clean shirts and less dirty linen, and... Ah, maybe that's a special delivery from Lake Success. Come in. Hi, Miss. Oh, hello there, Teeny. To what do I owe the doubtful place? Hey, 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 what you got there? Well, it's a kitty cat. Oh. <laughs> Isn't he cute? Mm-hmm. I've always wanted a little kitty cat, but my mama says cats carry germs, but this one isn't carrying any because I held him over the garbage can and shook him, I bet you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's a few germs between friends anyway? Personally, I think it's a wonderful thing for children to have pets. Well, so does my mama, too, but she says the trouble is when the pets start having children. <laughs> hey, he sounds like he's hungry. Oh, he can't be hungry, I bet you. No? I gave him a saucer root beer and two chocolate marshmallows and half my bubble gum. <laughs> you did, eh? Yes, he was so hmm? I says you did, eh? Did what? Gave him all that stuff to eat. What stuff? A saucer root beer, two chocolate marshmallows, and half your bubble gum. Oh, you forgot the dill pickle. <laughs> I gave him that the very first thing. Well, I'm sorry. I'll remember that in the future. I'm not going to give him any more in the future. <laughs> it made him sick. <laughs> oh, don't cry, Raymond. I won't give you any more pickles. <laughs> Raymond, eh? That's a cute name for a cat, this. I, I don't like it. Hmm? I think Raymond is a bum name for a cat, I betcha. Well, then why call him Raymond? I have to. That's his name. Well, who named him? I did. Well, if you don't like the name Raymond for a cat, why did you name him Raymond? (laughs) I named him before I found out he wasn't that kind of a cat. I had a wonderful cat once when I was a kid, sis. Big striped fella. He was a bird cat. He was a who? He was a bird cat. Always took him with me when I went hunting. Better than any bird dog I ever owned. I called him Sun. S-U-N, Sun. Oh, gee. On account of he was so bright, I bet you. No, on account of every night he'd disappear and wouldn't come back till morning. (laughs) Well, sir, I'll never forget one day. Now, quiet, quiet, Raymond. I don't want to hear it either, but we got to be polite. <laughs> well, sir, I'll never forget one day I was out after some quail. Louis Toops had a brother in the Navy, and he said... Please! Okay. Quiet, Raymond. Well, sir, this bird cat of mine was sneaking on ahead, sliding silently through the brush like a little cloud of gray smoke. Uh-huh. Suddenly, he disappeared. I wait. 
And then I feels a tug at my pants leg. And there was Son. He looks up at me and jerks his head toward a little patch of woods. I takes the safety off my shotgun. The cat shakes his head. I was puzzled. See, me too, I betcha. And Raymond. <laughs> well, sir, the brainy little beast leads me to a little cabin in a clearing. There was a bench outside the door, and on the bench was an almanac. The cat jumps up onto the bench, wets his paw with his tongue, and starts turning the pages. <laughs> Comes to a calendar and looks up at me. I looks at the page, and then I seen it. Seen what? Not seen, Teeny. Saw. Oh. <laughs> I saw what the cat meant. The quail season didn't open till the next day. <laughs> Cat, it saved me a ten-buck fine and maybe a week in the pokey. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, whatever became of him, mister, whatever, whatever. He ran away, sis, and I never saw him again. Unless... Hmm? Unless what? Well, a few years later, I passed a woman on the street wearing a funny-looking striped fur coat, just kind of flung across her shoulders. And as I went past, one of the sleeves waved at me. <laughs> That may have been just a coincidence. Hey, you think my kitty will ever be that smart, mister? I rather doubt it, sis, but let me have a look at him. I've been a judge at more cat shows than the chairwoman of a sewing circle. Okay. Here, Raymond, let Mr. McGee look at him. Yeah. I'll take it easy, Hey! Hey! He's crashing! Hey, come out here, you little monster! Hey, Oh, he ran out the door. Where is he, sis? Where'd he go? He went under the porch. Oh, sure. And saw your paw. Mm -hmm. He was the only kitty I ever had except Margaret. And he's a dog. Now, 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 now. Take it easy, sis. I'll get Raymond out of there. I have to tear the house down. Oh, my poor little kitty. Poor little now, Raymond. Now, please, sis, please. What'll the neighbors think? <laughs> uh... If I only had something to take my mind off of it, like... Well, maybe 50 cents or something. <laughs> oh, for the love of Pete, here's 50 cents. Now pipe down. I'll get Raymond back for you. Promise? Absolutely. Okay. Then I'll go down to Kramer's drugstore and get a couple of banana splits. Hmm? Most women, when they got trouble, they go out and buy a hat. I buy banana splits. Thanks, <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. Hey, Tina. Why, that little... Oh, well. Never break a promise to a child. Here, Raymond. Here, Raymond. Nice kitty. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. Dog gone it. Or, I mean, cat gone it. I better go and get my flashlight. Billy Mills in the orchestra, and I wonder who's kissing her now.
Now, right there's where he ran under the porch, Molly. Yeah, you yeah. Now, you stand here, and when I flush him out, you grab him. You better put some gloves on. He scratches like a 1923 record of Isham Jones. <laughs> well, all right, but... Oh, wait a minute, dearie. Here comes that nice Mr. Williams, the weatherman. Oh, we'll never get any place talking to him. He skirts a subject like Hattie Carnegie with a stylish stout. That guy is so... Hush, dearie. Hello there, Mr. Williams. Ah, it's Mr. and Mrs. McGee. Good afternoon, in a way. Hi, Williams. How's everything in the Weather Bureau? Cloudy Tuesday, followed by Wednesday and Thursday? Uh, unsettled, rather. Uh, we have information of a cold front moving in from the Pacific, which, if it meets high temperatures over the Midwest, might result in almost anything. <laughs> I would say, unofficially, that conditions are general. All, uh, although they might change for the better... Or worse. <laughs> it's difficult to say. Yes, uh, it seems to be. <laughs> By the way, Williams, what's your first name? In case I want to send the Weather Bureau a postcard. I find the government gives better service if you pester them a little. <laughs> My name is F. Ogden Williams. F. Ogden Williams. What's the F for, Mr. Williams? Uh, that was left indefinite, Mrs. McGee. <laughs> My parents just named me F. Ogden. I was to choose my own first name when I came of age, but I've been unable to reach a, a definite conclusion. <laughs> that I can believe. <laughs> F. Ogden Williams, eh? You know something, Foggy? <laughs> you kind of remind me of my brother. He was a stocking salesman, but he was too bashful for the work. <laughs> Couldn't stand getting himself out on a limb. I see. I think. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm sure I do. <laughs> well, I'm sure you must be busy. At least you seem to be making preparation for something. Naturally, I wouldn't know. For sure. Well, good day, probably. Mark my words, love boat. That guy is going to be an important man in the government one of these days. You think so, dearie? Yes, sir. Any guy that can avoid taking a stand on anything like he does is going right to the top. <laughs> well, this isn't getting that cat out of there. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here, Raymond. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> Well, he's under the porch, all right, but maybe well, not... Well, 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 what goes on here? And can you use another player? Why, hello, Dr. Gamble. There's a cat under the porch, and himself here is going in after Yeah, never mind giving me some expert advice, too, either, Tommy Thumper. Yeah. <clears throat> I took more cats out from under more porches than you took appendixes out of people with simple indigestion. Well, you know, uh, he promised the little girl across the street he'd rescue her cat, and he's going to do it, Doctor. I never break a promise to a child, Doc. Anybody that makes a promise to a child in the first place is a fathead, but I did it and I got to make good. <laughs> you still under there, Raymond? Are you sure his name is Raymond? Sounds like an old girlfriend of mine. <laughs> always hungry and always complaining. Well, doggone it, you'd be pretty miserable, too, if you were hiding in the dark under a strange porch, scared to death and with a busted leg. McGee, a broken leg? Why, you didn't tell me. That poor little thing, how terrible. Well, don't stand there like a goop, you sadistic little brute. Why didn't you tell me? We can't let that kitten suffer. 
Here, hold my medicine kit. When I get under the porch, you hand it to me. No, no, Doc. This is my job. Let me do it. On side, McGee. I've never doctored a cat before, but it'll be nice having a patient who won't try to tell me my business. <laughs> I sure appreciate this, Doc. Out of my way, Gabby. Now, let me see. I better go in feet first in case there's no room to turn around. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He'll ruin that suit. He can't hurt that suit. <laughs> he sent it to the Greek Relief three times, and they always send it back. <laughs> How you doing, Doc? I'm all right. Hand me that flashlight. The Doc is a peritoneum in here. Yeah, but whose? Here you are, Doctor. Do you see the cat in there? Well, I'm getting close to him. He just walked across my back. Well, good, good. That's a pretty long walk for a small kitten, Doc. Can't you grab him? Be quiet a minute. Let me look around under here. Oh, isn't this terrible? Has that poor little thing really a broken leg? No, I never said it had a broken leg. I just said the doc would be miserable, too, if he was under a strange porch with a broken leg. <laughs> you know, doc, always jumping to conclusions. Why, Fibber McGee, you just said that so he Oh, Molly, hello, pal. What's going on? Oh, hi, Junior. There's a cat under the porch. We're trying to get him out, Mr. Wilcox. Hey, have you got any more batteries for this flashlight, McGee? It's getting pretty dim. That's not a cat. That's Doc Gamble. <laughs> What's he doing under the house? He just bought a new foundation garment, and he's trying it out. <laughs> well, say, Molly, hold my coat, will you please? I'm going under that porch myself. Go ahead, Junior. And if you run across a fat little animal in there with an intelligent look in his eye, that's the cat. <laughs> Doc is the one with the flashlight. <laughs> Well, between us, we ought to be able to find the little blister. Hey, move over, Doc. I'm coming in. Hey, Doc, where are you? I'm way back here, Harlow. Just follow the buttons off my shirt. <laughs> okay. Here, kitty, kitty. I think you ought to be ashamed of yourself, McGee. The idea of making those two men do your work for you. I didn't make them any do any such a thing for me. Besides, this will be good for Doc. Why? Well, work a little of that tummy off him. You know, I was with Doc at a Kiwanis meeting last week, and they had a very good speaker. And when he got through, Doc just sits there. I says, why don't you clap your hands, Doc, I says. And he says, I can't. My hands don't meet in front. <laughs> well, now, just to say, oh, here comes Mr. Wilcox out again. You didn't stay long, Mr. Wilcox. I know. Uh, hey, give me a lift, will you, pal? Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks. Hey, how far back does that porch go, Molly? Well, you can crawl way back clear under the kitchen, Mr. Wilcox. Why, Junior? Because this is something I've always wanted to do. This is a great day for me, What folks. are you talking about? Well, look, for year after year, I've been telling people about Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, how it brings out the beauty of the kitchen linoleum with such little effort. Mm -hmm. How you just pour out a little glow coat, yeah. spread it around, let it dry for 20 minutes mm -hmm. or less, no rubbing, no buffing, mm -hmm. how it beautifies and protects the linoleum, yeah, how it makes housework works so much easier, gives the little woman so much more free time. Yes, 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 we know all that, but what that got to do with Great Day? Well, this is the first time I ever saw a kitchen floor from underneath. Oh. <laughs> I wanted to find out if you could use glow coat on both sides of it, and you know something? I'd like to try it, just for fun. <laughs> Look, Waxy... You, uh, you ever think of giving up this work and going back into Chautauqua? <laughs> no, I prefer radio. You do? Huh? Yes, I can get to more people and fewer people can get to me. 
Well, thanks for the look at the bottom of the floor, and I hope you find your cat. So long, now. So long, dear. You know, McGee, we haven't heard a word from the doctor for some time. Yoo-hoo, doctor. Hey, Doc, are you all right? Yes, but I wish you'd keep quiet. This cat is frightened. Oh, yeah, that, that's right. Cats are high-strung animals, Molly. That's why they wind up as E-strings on violins. <laughs> I knew a fiddler once tried to play at a dog show. It was awful. Every time a puck would bark, his fiddle string would raise up in the middle like an Ohio old-timer. Hello there, Mr. Old-timer. Hello there, kid. What you standing out here for, (laughs) Bean? Well, there's a cat under our porch, Mr. Old-timer. Oh, shucks, kid. You don't have to run out of the house just on account of a cat under the porch. They won't hurt you. I mind one time years ago, I lived in a swamp in Florida. Had crocodiles under the house all the time. One night, the biggest crock ever seen come waddling right into my bedroom. A big crock, eh? Yep. Know who it was? Cousin of mine named Jess Fiddleford. <laughs> Always crocked in them days, Jess was. I remember once I was... You know, a... I have an uncle with the same weakness, Mr. Oldtimer. My uncle Dennis. <laughs> He's weak, all right. Can't even hold his foot up without a brass rail under it. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I hear it. The way I hear it. What was that? The cat. Oh. Well, the way I hear it, one feller says to tell the feller, he says, I hear that new army plane, the one that goes 1,500 miles an hour, I hear it killed a man the other day. Is that so, says the feller. Pilot, was he? No, says the first feller, just a spectator. Tried to watch it go by and broke his neck. <laughs> Say, uh, Johnny. Yeah? About that cat, uh, Ever stop to think that motherhood is... Well, I mean, maybe it was going to have some... What do you think? Well, it wouldn't matter. There's a doctor in attendance. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's good, kids. Well, see you later. The King's Men and Tallahassee. Tallahassee. When you see land, kind of green and grassy, beneath the moon, bright beyond compare. When you hear blue jays chirping high and sassy, and catch one sniff of southern cooking hanging on the evening air. When you see folks at home all polite and classy. Chats. All polite and classy. Gentlemen all removed their hats. And every smile. 
from under that porch. He's been there half an hour. Uh, if I couldn't find a cat any quicker than that, I wouldn't call myself a doctor. How are you doing, Doc? Give me five more minutes, children. By that time, I'll either have a cat or a collapse. <laughs> here, Raymond, here, here. You know, McGee, I think he's really enjoying this. Why, sure he is, and why not? No telephone calls, no nurses rushing in and out with their starched uniforms scratching up the interns. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Doc spent a little time under our porch every afternoon. <laughs> well, nobody would be more welcome under our porch, I'm sure. The doctor is... Oh, look, McGee, here comes Mr. Wimple. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Oh, hi, Wimp, old man. <laughs> Hello, folks. Hi. What are you looking so perturbed about, Mr. Wimple? I'm, I'm looking for a place to hide. Yeah? Sweetie Face is after me again. Oh. Sweetie Face, that's my big old wife. <laughs> Yeah, we know, Wimp. What's she after you for this time? Well, it was just a misunderstanding, Mr. McGee. Yeah. She objected to the way I was drying my fish line. Well, isn't that ridiculous? What difference does it make how you dry your fish line? It made quite a difference to her, Mrs. McGee. You should have seen her tumbling down the stairs. <laughs> tumbling down the stairs? Yes. It seems I had my fish line sort of stretched across the top of the stairs and she tripped over it. <laughs> They think I have done it deliberately. <laughs> well, after all, she might have been seriously hurt, Mr. Wimple. Yeah, she might have been, but the fish line broke, and she didn't trip very hard. Oh. I have a stronger line someplace, but I simply couldn't find it. <laughs> What'd she do after she took the header, Wimp? Chase you out of the house? <laughs> no. <laughs> I ran up in the attic, and I hid in the trunk. Oh. Our trunk is full, our attic is full of trunks, oh, yes. yes, and she knew I was in one of them, so you know what she did? She locked every one of them. Heavenly days, including the one you were in? Yes. <laughs> I almost died laughing. You see, I had taken the bottom out of all the trunks long ago. <laughs> well, that's smart work, kid. Yes, but I better get out of sight. May I hide under your porch? Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Wimple, but Dr. Gamble is under there now. <laughs> he is? My goodness, I didn't even know he was married. <laughs> well, I'll find some other place then. Thanks, stand away, folks. The greatest living dodger since Cookie Lavagetto. How did he? Ah, here, here, Doc. Let me take him. Come to Uncle Fibber, Kitty. That's it. I got him. Give me a hand, somebody. There. There. <laughs> Thanks, Molly. Yeah. Nice to be out of there. Next time the coal miners strike, I won't be so unsympathetic. Well, we certainly thank you for all your troubles, Doctor. Yeah, great work, Doc. Took you long enough, but it was great work. Now, about that broken leg, you little... <laughs> now, freak. wait a minute, Doc. I... I can... Oh, hey, here comes Teeny. Hey, Teeny, here's your cat. Come on, Teeny, come and get him. I told you I'd get him for you, and we did. How do you like that we? <laughs> Hello there, Teeny. Here's your cat. Hi, Dr. Gamble. Hi, Miss McGee. Hi, Mr. McGee. Well, here's your kitten, Teeny. Give it to her, McGee. Yeah, here, sis. Come on, take it away. Huh? Take it. Take your cat. Get it out of here. Oh, that isn't my cat, Mr. McGee. What? No, I was just playing with that thing for a while this morning. Oh. I don't want the dirty old thing. <laughs> well, 
I, uh... <clears throat> say, Molly, may I use your bathtub? Why, sure, Doc. Help yourself. You know where to find the soap and towels, Doctor. I'm not going to need soap and towels. I just want to drown your husband after I break his leg. Now, I, now look, now look. I can explain. Now, you wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can't strike a man with a kitten in his arm. Ah, <laughs> Now. Gotta run down to the newsstand, Molly. Be right back. What's all the hurry? Dinner's almost ready. I gotta get a magazine. Somebody told me there's an article about us in this issue. Out today. Hey, you got any change? No, I haven't. Oh, never mind. I'll charge it as usual. The newsstand guy don't like it, but he does it for What me. magazine has our pictures in it? Look magazine. Hey, why don't you come with me? While he gives me a dirty look, you can grab a clean one, huh? <laughs> don't you get it, Molly? It ain't funny, McGee. It ain't? Well, it's hard to hold that terrific pace right up to the end. <laughs> Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Jack Benny Show, followed by Hopalong Cassidy. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.